This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Paula, before the break, we were talking about uh, John Mack uh, and uh, talking about uh, abductions ending in 1994, and now we're into this era of contact. Uh, why do why did the abductions end in 94? Was there some sort of an agreement? No, I don't ever believe that ETs need to agree on anything. They do what they want. Uh, they could they command. They actually call the shots. Uh, they don't need to, to, you know, get any kind of agreement. I think what happened was that there may have been a group. Now, remember, we're talking about about 50 different cultures. Colonel Corso told me that, plus um, uh, Clifford Stone said, and this is amazing, Richard, he said he had a manual when he'd do crash recovery, crash retrieval that had 50, uh, seven different species because they had to look at who was they were doing first aid on, and if they'd use a certain product, it would kill them. So, I mean, does does the powers that be, whoever's involved with this, uh, know that there are different species? We're not limited to greys, reptilians, and Nordics. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I think that, that what, what was going on, maybe a group of them were doing, you know, DNA harvesting, but certainly not all the greys. The the one that uh, the ones that um, uh, drive the what Colonel Corso said were the little clones that drive the ship or, or that uh, manipulate the ship with their hands and their they have like a brain function with the ship. They're not gathering DNA. Uh, they're they're like little clones. They're like little worker bees. So even in that uh, group of, of beings, there's a differentiation. But because we don't study, because we don't read, people are lumping all this together. And uh, we need to understand that people, that uh, whoever's visiting, and I, I love uh, Clifford Stone's word, he calls them the visitors, have different agendas. I mean, the one that, that uh, crashed in Virginia, the little red being, and you know the Virginia, Brazil case, is not a gray, it's not a Nordic, and it's not a reptilian. And there's different groups of ETs visiting the planet, um, and some of them are interdimensional, as Jacques Vallée believes, and some of them are physical, and some of them are light beings, and it's like all of the above. Mm, right, right. Um, when it comes to uh, abduction, there is a school of thought, I'd like to get your take on this, and I was speaking with Kathleen Martin very recently. And in, and even um, uh, Leslie Mitchell Clark and and uh, Wes Roberts talk about this. How you know, the, the idea of abduction, you know, taking someone, let's say even a child, against their will seems like wow. Are we talking about you know they're technologically advanced, but it doesn't sound like they're spiritually advanced if they would do something like that. And then they say, wait a minute now, because they believe that that in a previous life an individual has given consent. 
uh, that they will be taken. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that makes sense. I mean, I think that's logical. I think that's probably true. We don't know, none of us know why we're even interested in this. I mean, if I were to interview you, I'd say, <laughs> what interests you in, in this subject matter? It is not normal. I mean, this is, this is what was considered fringe. Maybe it's getting to be a little bit more normal with the To, to the Stars Academy folks, but um, it, it, it is not a regular type of topic. So if you're interested, and I'm interested, and, and it's captivated a lot of um, us researchers, then what is our relationship to the phenomenon before we were born? Right, right. Well, that's certainly, uh, you know, for those that subscribe to reincarnation, it, it does resolve, uh, you know, a, a problem, and uh, which I sort of addressed earlier, and that is, how could these be possibly spiritually evolved uh, entities if, for example, they would take children against their will. But that would resolve that question, wouldn't it? Yeah, also children, um, I think children have an amazing capacity to see dimensions, like a lot of kids can see their uh, grandmother that passed on or their uh, other beings from other worlds. Children are, uh, have a heightened sense of uh, ESP, um, and all of this, so they would be of great interest to other cultures, to other dimensions. Then when they get older and society conditions them, they become adults. But yeah, I can see that scenario. Just getting back to the, the alien uh, hybrid issue for a moment. And we go back to, let's say, for example, the Roper uh, poll that came out. When was that? 1991? My gosh, it's going on 30 years. And I think at that time... Um, they estimated, according to the survey, something like 4 million Americans may have been abducted. Uh, so 30 years on, what do you think the number is now? Well, I don't think that 30 million, never, never 30 million Americans. Why Americans then? I mean, what kind of poll is it? Just Americans? If, if, if there's, if there's, what are they just abducting Americans? Well, no, but the poll <laughs> was, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, the poll was taken in the United States, right? It was done in the United States, but a, a, a wiser poll mm. would be to look at this internationally. Sure, sure. Because it's, it, what, when you have contact, and I like the word contact better, you interpret it according to how you were brought up. So you interpret it according to the filter with which you can interpret it. If you didn't have that, you'd go crazy. Uh, and so you have to make sense out of it. Maybe what you had was contact. Maybe what you had was astral travel. Maybe what you had was a dream state. You did have contact. But maybe all of it wasn't physical. Maybe some of it went into another dimension. Uh, I had a long conversation with Colonel Corso about dimensional jumping. P, uh, you know, beings, uh, people that, w that were able to cross dimensions. And so maybe it w that's the way they interpret it. I don't believe that number. That's crazy. I, you know, that, that would be too much. I mean, if you were even doing DNA harvesting, you wouldn't need that many. Right, I mean, right. If you, you don't need that many. My God, that would mean that one group just went ahead and took a zillion people, and that was it. When I'm looking at the agenda of different groups, Richard, uh, whatever... Whatever their agenda is, it's not all DNA harvesting. And we, the problem with ufology in the United States, and I've backed off 
uh, of it lately because of this is is there's so much more to the UFO phenomenon than abductions. I'm now working in Latin America. I've been to four countries, and they're meeting physically with people coming off spaceships. Hmm. Right, right. Well, speaking of which, I uh, I was speaking to Preston Dennett recently, and he has a, a book out about schoolyard UFO encounters. And to me, this is a fascinating area that needs more attention because – these are these are uh, full-on daylight encounters, craft landing on the ground, interacting with small children, and l- like a one a year minimum for the last 150 years. It, that's fascinating. The one in Westall in in um, in uh, Australia mm-hmm. was one of them, uh, and there, the, and the other one, the John Mack. Um, Investigated in Africa, is Zimbabwe, the other one. yeah, and, Zimbabwe, yeah, yeah, and and those beings had an ecological message. They weren't here to abduct anybody, and they were they had an ecological message, which they implanted in the children, which was really interesting. And uh, the Westall one was was seen by adults and um, children. And by the way, that's in James Fox's new movie that's coming out, The Phenomena. James went to Australia. He went and did the background work on that particular case. So that movie's coming out shortly. So people, if they want to know what happened in Australia with the schoolyard um, contact, then, you know, that that would be interesting. All right, Paula, hang on. We'll, uh, we'll head on into the next hour. We'll uh, talk about your relationship with J. Allen Hynek, of course, of Project Blue Book, Colonel Philip Corso, and uh, secret, the Secret Space Program, if time allows. Paula Harris, my guest, and uh, she joins me for the next full hour right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. On Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, the electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Paula Harris stays with us this hour. Paula is a photojournalist, investigative reporter in the field of UFOs and extraterrestrial-related phenomena. She also is a widely published freelance writer, especially in Europe. In 1997, Paula met and interviewed Colonel Philip Corso in Roswell, New Mexico, and became a personal friend and confidant. She was instrumental in having his book The Day After Roswell, for which he wrote the preface, translated into Italian. One of Paula's most recently published books, Exopolitics, Stargate to a New Reality, contains 23 new and exciting interviews with international expert witnesses. Paula lives in Colorado and travels to Rome, Italy often. She has a master's degree in education and teaches history and photojournalism, as well as online classes in exopolitics for Michael Sala's Exopolitics Institute. Just a reminder that Paula will be appearing at the Alien Cosmic Expo that's happening Saturday, September the 21st, Sunday, September 22nd. And that takes place at the uh, Toronto Airport uh, Marriott Hotel. 
September 21, 22, Paula will be speaking on the Saturday from 2.45 p.m. to 4 p.m. And uh, she stays with us uh, for the full hour here. So let's talk about J. Allen Hynek and Project Blue Book. First of all, uh, how did you hook up with uh, with Mr. Hynek? I guess it was around 1980, correct? Yeah, I, my whole life has been a series of um, incidents that sound like and feel like they've been pre-programmed. Uh, in 1979, they gave me a class. I'm a teacher. I'm a high school teacher um, called Science Fiction. And then I watched a movie called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And, of course, I had a very emotional reaction to the very last part of that where um, Francois Truffaut plays Jacques Vallée, uh, interacts with the beings. And then I saw that Alan Hynek was part of it because he came out in the cameo role. So I began to research this, and I said, I wonder if this stuff is real. And then there was a wedding in Evanston, Illinois, and I went to the wedding, and then I broke away, and I said, I'm going over to the Center for UFO Studies and see what files they have. Well, when I walked in there and told the secretary that I spoke Italian, she told Alan Hynek, and he came from around the corner with that famous pipe, you know, I see him now, you know, with that white hair and the beard and the and the pipe. And he said, um, you speak Italian. Can you translate all the Italian sightings I'm getting? Will you work with me? And so we were very close friends. Uh, I was close friends with his family, with Paul Hynek, who's the youngest son. Um, I, I went to his house in Evanston. He came to Boulder a lot. And I worked with him. And, you know, Richard, the, the good part about that, is that I knew right away it was real, that this wasn't some hypothetical uh, thing that we were dealing with. I knew it because not only, you know, was he a, an astronomer and he used to tell me not to misplace Venus for a UFO, but the, the, his whole uh, group of people that he worked with at the Center for UFO Studies were all uh, people that, you know, were scientists and you know, he coined the uh, first the encounter of the first, second, third. He wanted physical traces. He wanted to examine soil. I mean, he did it right. So I, I had the greatest teacher in the world. It's interesting the Heineck's evolution, if I can use that word, because I mean, here's a guy that was involved in Project Sign and Project Grudge, which I've always found to be a fascinating uh, code name for a project. Project Grudge. And then Project Blue Book, because, I mean, he was initially brought on board to kind of throw a wet blanket on all this to be, I mean, he was a skeptic, right? What Did he ever talk to you about sort of his personal evolution in this field and how he came to be such a an ardent believer? He did, but can I recommend books about this? I mean, uh, Jacques Vallée wrote four books called Forbidden uh, science, Volume 1, 2, 3, and 4, and I read all four of them. They're diaries. So they talk about Alan's evolution, because Jacques writes diaries. And and after I read those four books, I, I, I figured it out. I figured every, you know, a lot of what I didn't know out. But what had happened was that, that it was a job in the beginning. I mean, he had five kids. It was a job. He, he tried to do it the best he knew how, and then all at once, he began to see that it didn't fit the mold, and he was a hero in that in that respect. And the case that turned him around uh, uh, to look at the interplanetariness of it 
was the uh, the Lonnie Zamora case in uh, Socorro. Uh, he went down there physically, and, you know, here's a, a, a state trooper that sees landing, I think it's 1964, and sees three beings come out of the craft, and he's not lying. And so Heineck had to change the way he thought, and that's why I admire people who change their minds. He began to look at these things. Uh, you know, I think he did the Pascagoula, Mississippi case with Calvin Parker. And those guys, and uh, he began to say, there's something here. I can't play the game anymore. I can't just say it's all swamp gas. Of course, uh, knowing researchers uh, later on, they really made him pay for it. They would criticize him saying, you know, we were here before you. We got the message before you. You're Johnny come lately. But Alan, um, in his later years, not only did he, uh, you know, tend to know that this was real, that it could be planetary, he espoused some of Jacques Vallée's ideas in that the paranormal was very, very much involved in this, uh, and that, uh, you know, it could be a dimensional situation, that it could be orchestrated, uh, all of these things. I mean, he, his mind really opened up. To it, and I wasn't ready for it yet, Rich. I couldn't deal with what was in the craft. And when he died in 1986, I didn't even want to know. I was happy doing the translations. I was happy putting pins and maps. I was happy just making it nuts and bolts. And I didn't want to go any farther. But boy, have I changed since then. Was was it because you were conflicted? It was because I couldn't couldn't imagine it. It's not in my paradigm. I wasn't raised that way. I mean, it's like, this is why, you know, you got to look at the interpretation of some of these things with these people. I couldn't do it. It couldn't, it wouldn't go, I couldn't, you know, it seemed like fairy tales to me. I couldn't go there until I started doing later work. And I, I began to see that it was just as real. All that stuff was just as real as the nuts and bolts. Right. Was there a... A particular incident or, I don't know, something that, that, that Heineck told you that kind of just finally blew the doors off everything for you? No, it was Colonel Corso. Oh, it was Corso. Okay. Corso, my God. <laughs> no, of Corso. It was, you know, I, I didn't want to do that story, and it's in my book, um, uh, connecting the dots I had talked about. It was the 50th anniversary of Roswell, and I was in Italy, and I didn't want to do the story, and I didn't prepare for it, didn't even know what the book was about, and there was no room in Roswell, but I ended up in the, in the room next to Colonel Philip Corso by accident, okay? Just like I ended up in in Hynek's, uh place by accident. Um, so Corso, over a course of uh, a period of time, began to talk to me about his contact, his contacts. And uh, he, and I was able to travel with him in Italy, and he definitely was a dimensional jumper. He remembered his past lives. He, he had all kinds of paranormal activity uh, that he was involved with as head of the CIA in Rome. It was a CIC. It wasn't CIA yet. It was a CIC. And the thing is that um, I... Then he told me about his encounter right at, uh, at the, you know, the White Sands missile range there uh, with the being. And, and uh, that's actually what he told me when I first met him. And I, I, 
you know, I should have been a better journalist, Richard. I wasn't. I said, I'm not print, printing this because they're going to think you're a crazy old man. And I want the back engineering story. Tell me how you back engineered, the Army back engineer. I didn't want any contact story. But boy, from that point on, after he died in 98, to where we are now in 2019, I have blown open my mind. I've had to change my mind over and over and over again. Let's just uh, back up again, because, you know, there may be a few people not totally familiar with Colonel Corso, and this was the uh, the gentleman who wrote The Day After Roswell, along with uh, Bill Burns, of course, uh, and he was part of this program to back engineer the, he w- well, he was in charge of the Foreign Technology Desk, right? At Was that at Wright-Patterson? Exactly. At Wright, Wright-Patterson. Yeah, at, at Pentagon, actually. It was 1960s. It was in the Kennedy administration times. Right. And so the, the Roswell crash debris was taken uh, to write Pat, uh, and uh, the, the, the Corso was supposedly assigned to try and back-engineer this. Uh, now, and this is the book that uh, supposedly, if I remember correctly, it w- was what got uh, the Honorable Paul Hellyer interested. Someone gave him a little summer reading, and he and he was given the, a copy of Corso's book, and that changed everything for, for Hellyer. Well, it did, because he had connections, and he could call generals. He could call people, military people, to ask if Corso was telling the truth. And, uh, and you know, Corso, I knew him very, very—he had a sense of integrity. He wouldn't be writing a book about uh, lies, but people got him on the idea that some of this technology was already in the mainstream. Well, of course it was. The first crash happened in San Antonio, New Mexico, in 1945, when the Army and Air Force were together— and then there was Aztec, Corona, uh, there was uh, Plains of St. Augustine, there was all these, these uh, recoveries in, in the early days after the atomic bomb. And nobody is going to throw that stuff away. Nobody. And so what happened, I think, is that the Air Force started its own, you know, back engineering program, but they, they were already probably way ahead of the Army, because remember, Colonel Corso's just Army. He's bragging about the Army. It's only about the Army. But those other retrievals, and they're not just in the United States, they, they were all, all over the world. I mean, th- that, that stuff, even Russia, is, is going to be uh, used uh, in some capacity. So that are, answers the argument that it's already in the mainstream. By the time Corso got it in 1960, um, a lot of it was already being developed in the mainstream. What did he tell you uh, about his time at um, at Wright Pad? I mean, did he see alien bodies? No, he didn't work at Wright Pad. He worked at uh, he worked at, uh, at different places all around the world. He did see an, the alien body. You know, when what he described was this: that in 1947, he was uh in charge of uh, a a place in in Fort Riley Kansas in other words a base there and the first time he right there uh, around the Roswell time and I'm not sure those are the Roswell aliens uh there was a cargo that came into the believe it or not the uh the veterinary headquarters they put them there where the horses were and he opened up one of the cases and there was an alien body there and he remembers it clearly cuz he said I looked at it they said they came from the out of Roswell I think it came out of that area um he says but he said I kept it in the back of my mind for later 
And I think later he was read into this and he knew because when he had the contact in 1957 with the being that was alive, the one at White Sands, the one that, that asked him to shut his radars down, the one that said, when Colonel Corso said, what do you have to offer me? He answered, a new world if you can take it. He wasn't lying. Uh, and it was not a great, it was a little man with a kind of a, a helmet. Uh, and Kurt Corso did shut his radars down. He explained to me that it was very common that the radars would bring down these, these craft. So Corso happened to be part of history. Uh, the history of, tel- of the disclosure that we have. He started with Corso's coming out in, uh, you know, talking about this with his book in, uh, at the uh, 50th anniversary, 1997, which I attended. And then Paul Hallier gets involved. And then, see, you can see this is, you know, really slow disclosure because these are credible people. Right, right. And you wrote the preface uh, for that book. Uh, yeah, in Italy. In y- Italy. Yes, in Italy. I did. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, your your chance encounter with 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 Heineck, MN, you know, being in the next room at uh, the Roswell anniversary. Uh, this is beyond serendipity. What do you think is going on with you? <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, I, it, it it gets weirder because I meet all the people I'm supposed to meet. I was very close to. To Edgar Mitchell, the Apollo 14 astronaut, I, I was uh, very, uh, very close to the top players in, in, in ufology. It's like, what happens to me is if I have a question, the universe answers it. It puts me right smack in the middle of where the question is, and I meet the people I'm supposed to meet. So I met a lot of the players, uh, the top players in the field, and had interesting conversations with them. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to figure it out like everybody else. What has helped me is Jacques Vallée's books, The, the Forbidden Science, because he, he was everywhere. And, uh, you know, he has a, an overall perspective on it. And um, so what, what I, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know why all this is going on. But I know, like you said, it's not serendipity. It's it's an effort, I think, to raise consciousness. And if we raise our consciousness, we become awake and aware and, and know what's, you know, what part we play in this whole scenario. Right. You mentioned Valet. I mean, he's kind of reemerged, hasn't he, after kind of a self-imposed exile from this arena. What's happening there? Why? Why now? Well, I think, well, I know he's, He's got uh, quite a bit to do with, uh, what's his name, James Fox's film. He's in there. He's in that film. I think that, w- look at our ages, all of us. We're up in, I don't know about you, but I'm 74, um, and Jacques is 79. Uh, I think in our later years, we come together to kind of look at what the answer might be. And for the intellectuals, and I don't mean this as entertainment, unfortunately, I think our field has become solid entertainment. But for the people, the intellectuals, the ones that read, the ones that have a long discussion, uh, you know, like Edgar Mitchell did, and like uh, the people at SRI, uh, and like you know, people that are really interested, in our later years, 
I think we want to know, so we come out and, and, and start having a dialogue, which is really great. Uh, and he has a lot to offer. I've been following his work um, uh, very well lately because he, he talks about the paranormal being part of this, and and, and it is. Uh, all the weirdness that I've had around me doing this is part of the phenomenon. It is not separate. Uh, from the phenomenon. The phenomenon manifests itself, Richard, in so many different ways. It's not just documents. It's not just abductions. It's not just, you know, sightings. It's not just, it's like a lot of different areas that come together. And someone, uh, Victor Vigiani, a good uh, friend of mine and also yours, said that, said something to me once I thought was was spot on, and that is when we finally figure out what's behind all this, it'll probably be something completely different than what we can possibly imagine. What do you think about that? I think that's straight on. That's beautiful statement. I think that's what um, Jacques believes, for sure. I think that's what Alan believed, um, and it, it is. And it's, and it's frustrating, isn't it? Because we've been working for such a long time in this area, you like to think you have it figured out, but we don't have it figured out. And and we're spending, I think, too much time in looking at the government involvement because I think they don't have it figured out. They can't figure it out either. So they're looking at the overall picture trying to figure it out. So we're all walking around trying to figure it out. And uh, I, Victor is straight on. That is absolutely right. Valet was talking about an element of a deception behind this whole UFO ET was he was he talking about human deception or is there an element of deception on the other side as well was he hinting at maybe some nefarious purpose by certain races of ETs or civilizations of ETs no I think he means on the other side but I don't think it was nefarious I think what he says is they show themselves enough and then they do something to discredit the whole entire story uh, I think a perfect example of that is the Billy Meyer case, which I I really believe is true. I mean, Wendell Stevens was one of the best researchers on planet Earth, and he did that case uh, with, uh, um, you know, Brit elders and Lee elders. They weren't kidding around there. They lived there, uh, and they did the case, but things came up to completely discredit the case. And sometimes it comes from the beings themselves. Uh, because maybe they don't, it, it's like, it, it's up to them if they're going to show themselves. It's up to them if they're going to uh, do disclosure. Uh, it's not us, by the way. If they want to go over every major airport in the world at the same time, they can do that. But I think that sometimes what they do is give a little hint and then they don't follow through. And I think that's what Jock was talking about because he said it's very hard to follow the the breadcrumbs with them. It's very hard to follow the reasoning because they're not human. It's hard to follow the, the uh, even if they're, it, it might be a manifestation of our own consciousness. That blew me away when I read that. Uh, a manifestation, it's like a school for us to learn about us. Hmm. Whoa, that, that really goes to another level. You know, it's a manifestation of our consciousness in the universe to learn about us as a species 
and in in the process along the way, maybe we'll evolve. I mean, we're pretty primitive right now. All right, uh, well, because uh, we're back. Yeah. Sorry, I'll take a quick time out. We'll come back and we'll uh, continue to delve into, let's say, the future of disclosure, uh, the secret space program, and more. Paula Harris, my guest, right here on the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. The truth will set you free, but first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Paula Harris stays with us, and again, she will be a headline speaker at the Alien Cosmic Expo happening September 21-22 at the Airport Marriott Hotel in Toronto, and you can go to aliencosmicexpo.com to register and for more information, aliencosmicexpo.com. Paula is speaking on uh, the Saturday, uh, incidentally, 2.45 p.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, we were talking about, uh, well, a lot of things, Jacques Vallée. I wanted to just talk a little bit about d- disclosure. You mentioned the Academy to the Stars, and um, of course, we everyone seems to just to, to look at that December 2017 New York Times piece as kind of a a, a game changer, a, a sea change in the atmosphere regarding disclosure. Um, what do you think the future is? I mean, where are we going from here? Well, first of all, just just on my personal level, my kids won't talk about the subject matter at all. They haven't talked about it. At, you know, they they don't want to delve into it. But when that article come out, came out, it made me legitimate. And it's so funny because they sent me the article. They said, Mom, you know, there, there really are UFOs. <laughs> and I thought, come on. You know, what do you think I've been doing for 40 years? Uh, so, yeah, that, that, that helped me a lot. But, uh, Richard, I truly believe as an investigator that with everything like that, there's an agenda. So it isn't because they want disclosure and they want the world to know. What they want, uh, what that group wants is the, the funding to back engineer the technology, uh, and we don't know what it will be used for. Um, because, and then the only way they could push that through is to make it look like there's a threat. So if there's a threat, we need the technology because there's a threat. Because then we go to Werner von Braun's famous line, you know, we, this planet is built on war and reconstruction, war and, and when we run out of enemies, we have to look at the extraterrestrial card as the last card. That's Carol Rosen who says that too, because she knew von Braun. So they, I, I look at, because I'm an, I'm an investigator, what's the agenda? Why it isn't done because, you know, let's all get together and meet the aliens. It's done uh, with the, uh, the override that there has to be a preparation for an alien threat. So I, I'm not exactly a fan of that thinking, because if they were going to do that, they should have done it in 1945 when we exploded the atomic bomb and started a chess game, which will never end. So uh, they could have done it back then if they were a threat. But... Um, and you know, with Robert Salas and the Maelstrom air, uh, yes. air base shutdown of the missiles, they wanted to do away with us. They would have done it right there when they shut those missiles down. So uh, there's an agenda. What it did do is raise consciousness. 
it helped my kids understand that this was real. <laughs> it uh, it basically uh, raised consciousness, and 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 uh, whoever's working with this in governmental ways knows that this was real anyway. Um, so where's it going? I have no idea. Um, you know, it's you, uh, everything has an agenda. I don't know where it's going from this point on. Uh, and I would rather uh, that we looked at ourselves raising consciousness and try to change a few things on this planet than worry about making, uh, you know, uh, any kind of uh, warfare with advanced technology. So that's my personal take. Uh, I mean, in terms of where it's headed, and if we look at more of the ne- nefarious track here and the, and the idea that uh, they're going to try and stage an alien invasion, uh, it, are we talking like Project Blue Beam? No, I don't think it's going that way. Uh, I'm, I'm really surprised it went to the History Channel myself, because it was, if it was disclosure, it's on TV, now it becomes entertainment. Um I, you know, one of the last episodes was you, uh, Italy shoot, uh, shot down the UFO. No, Italy. That case, I know it. I've talked to the guy on the television screen that was the Navy Admiral. I talked to him personally in 2005. Uh, Italy did, uh, I mean, no shot, no UFO shot down any Italian anything. Um, that was an interaction with the balls of light in, in Sicily that were having problems with these balls of light that were coming out of the water. So that was electromagnetic anomaly, but that was presented on the History Channel as uh, the UFO was shot down, shot down a helicopter. That helicopter's wings melted. The pilot walked out of there. So I don't think that was a shoot down of anything. But it was so ominous uh, that they went to Congress with that. They said, oh, Italy had it like a shoot-down. So if they do this, if ETs did this in Italy, they're going to do it here. And I was thinking, oh, no, don't do that, because that's not uh, that's not true what happened. And uh, if they were going to shoot us down, it's probably as a result of some kind of conflict where we started shooting. So it's the agenda I'm worried about, Richard. I don't know why, uh, what, where we're going. I don't know what the direction is with the, that kind of disclosure. Uh, and as far as the secret space program, that was the big, uh, you know, title of everything two years ago. It's like we have a brand new thing we're looking at every year. Um, of course, of course, the Germans had a secret space program. Of course they did. So, I mean, that's logical. We had the German scientists here, you know, right, helping right. with na- uh, put rockets in, in the sky. Yes. Uh, well, you mentioned the secret space program. Uh, Randy Kramer, of course, will be at the Alien Cosmic Expo. Um, I mean, does his his story about, you know, serving on, on Mars, does that jive with, with your research and what you've heard? Does that, your evidence sort of corroborate his story? No, I have no evidence to corroborate his story. However, is it possible? Yes. Uh, I, I believe that uh, portals can be created uh, where people can walk in, you know, the portal, come out another place. Uh, I think that technology, the reason why I think that I did, I did the uh, Dan Burrish case, uh, and he talked about portals and he talked about a te- technology being very, very advanced there. Do I think it's possible? Absolutely. But I'm not, nothing that I have, uh, researched, um, sh- you know, talks about that, talks about that particular, uh, situation. I think it's, very interesting to listen to everything 
Right. But you have talked to people who have talked about deep space platforms. Yes, one. One person, uh, Frank Ferguson, he's in my book. He said that in 1950, his father worked at a deep space platform. uh, And he talked about his father in his deathbed saying that they had collaborated with, uh, with, uh, you know, cosmic cultures on that platform. Uh, in 1950s, can you imagine 1950s? And then when I did the Charles Hall case, he was telling me, and that was 1965, that rockets were going off at Nellis, near Nellis, when we were all looking at Cape Canaveral. So I'm going, okay, well, you know, maybe stuff is happening in other places, and we're all looking at, you know, Cape Kennedy, and there's they're not going to show where they're doing the rest of the, you know, the research because it's none of our business or whatever. Uh, but everything is not as it seems. Uh, I think that there is, you know, research going on that somebody deems that we shouldn't know about. Um, did I find out about any of it? Only the Frank Ferguson story, which is, you know, and that's word for word what he told me. Um, I I don't know. Uh, and, and then the fact that, you know, I did the Charles Hall Tall White Aliens case. That happened in 1965, and there were rockets going off in that area on Area 51. So I don't know uh, how much has been developed. Um, and I think a lot of it has become entertainment. So we've got all this infighting and all these arguing about who did what, um, and because I think real disclosure is not on TV. <laughs> so I think that the real people are not going to just go on TV and talk about this. They will probably talk in the back room with the intelligence community and other people, probably. Uh, that's how I see this scenario going. That's the trick, isn't it? There's so much disinformation uh, and spin. I mean... <laughs> When you walk into a conference, and I don't want you to name names, but do you do you have sort of a, a handle on, you know, who's on one side or the other saying, well, that person's here to spread disinformation and this person is is not credible? I, you know, I, I don't want you to name names, but does that happen when you when you go to conferences? Too much, too much, and it's not. Some people really believe what they're saying, so I don't think they're they're lying. They really believe it. So I think uh, that that uh, some people really believe. I, I mean, I'm not going to name names, but there's one particular uh, event that I read the book cover to cover, and that book is not credible at all, and people just took it for granted that this person, what he said was true. But I had to re- – see, I'm still reading books. I'm, I have to read the person's um, accounts in order to collaborate with, you know, what uh, – corroborate with what I – found out. And what I find out is not in the United States. I mean, a lot of what I found out was in Europe, uh, about a lot of UFO sightings, about testing that was done in the Pacific. Uh, in, in, I'm now in Latin America. I'm on my way to Chile. I've been to Colombia. I've been to Argentina. And those people tend to tell the truth. I mean, they're humble people who don't want to be on TV. And so I can talk to these people and get a lot more information in these countries than I can here. Okay, back with uh, and yes, back with more of my conversation with uh, Paula Harris. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's the conspiracy show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. 
it was interesting you were talking about sort of contrasting the uh, the way that other countries around the world uh, look at the UFO issue. Uh, you mentioned Chile, you know, South America versus the United States, Europe versus the United States, uh, and how in the United States this whole field has become entertainment. Uh, I mean, do you ever do you ever ever think about just stop going to to UFO conferences in the United States and and focusing on uh, Europe or South America because they're getting at the truth there. I'm always going there. In fact, I spent a month. Uh, I spent a month in in uh, Italy, and a part of it was I did a show on the giants uh, in Sardinia for Gaia. I mean, I, I did it as a consultant. I did. I was not. You know, I don't want to do that kind of thing. I don't do ancient aliens, but as a consultant, I did it because I spoke the language and the people there had, you know, seen giant bones and so forth. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I, I spend a lot of time outside the United States, but I, let me let me say something. In the frustration that it is entertainment, uh, about six years ago, I started my own conference in Laughlin, Nevada called Starworks USA, and I brought over the Latin American contactees, I brought over the Italians, I brought over uh, uh, different uh, countries, um, I brought over Hakdan Octagon from Turkey, uh, because I was frustrated with the way the conferences were going here, so that people could have an international dialogue. And this conference that I'm doing on ESP has Yuri Geller in it, <laughs> and, and Russell Target, and the whole SRI thing in the ESP, um, studying of remote viewing, and that is from the 1st to the 3rd of November at the Aquarius Hotel. So w- my effort to do that is to try to switch the conferences over to a dialogue like a, a university, like it, it would be a university. Uh, and uh, I don't have any images of little greys in, lo- in the lobby, and the reason why is because I want scientists to walk in there. I want scientists, I want people that really care, that want to be seen with all of us, and uh, the people that have dialogues. So I've done my my part in changing that uh, idea, and, and I'm excited about Canada. Um, uh, and and I, I go to some conferences, but mostly I'm in the field doing the research because, you know, in, in the last years of our lives, we want to kind of put the puzzle together. Right, right. And are we any, I mean, there's the disclosure movement, and, you know, as you say, that's kind of suspect. We're not sure where that's going. But in, in terms of just data and, and, you know, uh, collecting physical evidence, are we pushing the needle at all? Well, um, I, I'm going to support MUFON here. <laughs> they are the data collecting group. And if, if if anybody's having any kind of an experience, they have to go somewhere to where the data is being put in the computers so that we can get the more data, the more we can paint the picture. So, yeah, I support Move on 100,000% and Jan Harzan and that group. And, of course, the the, the group Stu Bundy and, and your group in Canada. And, yes, it's, it's just how we how we harvest the data. If somebody said, Paula, what we have a world conference 
at the University of Colorado on UFOs. For instance, University of Colorado has bad karma because they're the ones that have the Condon Committee report right. that did the whitewash. If, they, if we would do that and people wouldn't want to wear the T-shirts and the tinfoil hats and come to just party, and they would come for a, a really good dialogue at the University of Colorado with professors and scientists and everything, that would be darned exciting. And it would be darned exciting for me because I love to listen to their uh, another perspective. Right, right. But uh, I guess when I'm talking about data, uh, I mean, like hard evidence, uh, like, you know, somewhere out there, someone has in a desk drawer, uh, you know, a, a piece of uh, a piece of uh, debris or something. Um, you know, when are we going to f- finally start to see that in public on a public display? Well, I can tell you, the Gaia TV just uh, just interviewed Clifford Stone, and he had a piece of debris. Uh, he was crash retrieval. He shows it. He shows a piece of debris. He talks about the three crash retrievals in Vietnam. Um, we will see that, Richard, when people start studying it, like, you know, the Charles Hall case, where these, these beings were at area, near Area 50, uh, 51. It was do- near Dogbone Lake. These people were there in 1965. Um, you know, if people start studying all the books and all the, I mean, just, just look at, you know, even Travis. I mean, there, the needle is pushed. It's just that people aren't studying it. Uh, we have pieces of metal. I don't think that's what what the story is. I, I think that probably when we start traveling in outer space, when we um, start going to other planets, when we start becoming members of the cosmos, we will get a lot more uh, data, and, and you can't hide it. It's not going to be hidden. But I'm, I just really want people to care. I want them not to look at the entertainment value or the, uh, you know, the con- only the conspiracy stuff, but look at what it means for humanity. What does it mean for this species? I mean, Hawking talks about this. Mishu Kaku uh, has a statement where he says, look, we're going to be interacting with ETs. Get over it, you know, get used to it. This is this is Mishukaku, but who's reading Mishukaku's books? I, I'm thinking, okay, well, can we get serious about this, and then we'll all see what we have. <laughs> okay, Paula, stay put. We'll uh, come back with more in a moment. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. The truth will set you free, but first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. Paula Harris is standing by to continue our discussion on UFO disclosure. Just a reminder, coming up next week, Captain Randy Kramer will be here to talk about the secret space program for the full two hours. And Randy will also uh, be speaking at the Alien Cosmic Expo, and that's happening September 21 and 22 out at the uh, Airport Marriott Hotel here in Toronto. And again, for information and to order tickets, go to aliencosmicexpo.com. Alien 
CosmicExpo.com. I'm going to do my darndest to uh, to get out there at least for part of uh, one of those dates. And if you're there and you see me, come say hello. Now, on the 29th of September, John Barber, a real television pioneer, the man really credited with creating reality TV. Do you remember that program, Real People, back in the, uh, the late 1970s and 80s? That was created by John Barber, but he was also a, a film and television critic uh, for many years, an Emmy Award-winning uh, TV journalist, and uh, he was on earlier this summer with Don Jeffries for about an hour, but I'm going to bring John back. He's coming to Toronto the end of September, and uh, I kind of missed out on getting to interview John, so he's going to come on September the 29th for the full two hours live in studio. We'll talk about his new autobiography, of course, which is getting rave reviews about growing up in Toronto. That's right. He's Canadian, but also his long and um, varied career. But we'll also talk about the JFK assassination. Did you know that John Barber uh, was the only person ever to interview New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison at length on camera? So we'll talk about that as well. All right, back to Paula Harris. What has you really sort of excited these days in terms of your field work and investigations. Is there a particular case? You mean what's the newest thing I'm working on? Yes, um, yes. There's a case in Genoa, in Italy, uh, that I want to finish up. It's called uh, Pier Fortunato Zanfretta case, but it's in English, the book. They can go look it up. This man has been having contact with these beings for 27 years, and he, like, goes up to this mountain. I've been on the mountain. He goes into the craft, Richard, and they download his uh, memories for for the the month. So he sees on the screen everything he did and all the people he talked to. And unfortunately, I was one of the people. So when he went in the craft, he, he saw me on the screen. And these beings, they do this to him because he has an implant. Now he's undergone sodium pentothal. <clears throat> he has uh, he's told the truth. He's been... The police follow him, <laughs> and and so this is a real case, but it's not an American case. And I I really am fascinated with that kind of contact case because I want to know who those beings are. They're not reptilian, they're not gray, and they're not Nordic. I want to know why they're downloading his memories, what they want with him, and that excites me. And and I, I would like to, but I have to go back to Italy next next year to do it. And you went up that mountain. Anything? Interesting yeah. happened to you when when you were up there? I couldn't do it because what happened was, first of all, when we got there, there was a, a car, a white car with a guy reading a newspaper, so I knew we were being watched the whole time. And the, the mountain has a very skinny path where there's a, a drop, a solid drop. And I started to walk it in broad daylight, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I got like... A couple of steps in or, you know, uh, a little ways in, I said, Piero, I can't do it. And he does it at one in the morning. One in the morning where you can't see anything. And, and of course, Wendell Stevens brought him to the United States and and uh, in the old days. And so this man has told his story. What's interesting to me is the agenda that these beings have, uh, which is looking at how we live, but they do it through downloading his memories uh, and he has to go when he gets the su- signal in the, in the implant no matter where he is he uh, gets in the car and he goes so I knew that when I was with him on that mountain we were being watched we were being watched I mean they knew not only from maybe whoever was in the white car but from the beings themselves the beings know what's happening 
because of the work that you do, I mean, you're boots on the ground. A lot of people, you know, they write books, they theorize, but you're uh, boots on the ground. Do you do you get followed? Do you suspect you know you're 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 being monitored? Oh yeah, and often you know on the phone I just say, hey, it's too bad you guys can't pay me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing the work. I'm doing the work for you. You're curious about what's happening, it's, you know. I'm doing it all out of my pocket, Richard. Uh, my kids are so angry. <clears throat> they go, Mom, my God, in your years, why aren't you at the Bahamas, you know, in some hotel and, and you know, swimming up to the bar? And I'm going, <laughs> no, my money is not going there. My money is going to do to Chile next month to do some research in the Atacama Desert. And that's where I will be next month, Richard, because I want to know, because I want those people to tell me what they see and what they're experiencing. So my money goes there. I mean, I've never been sponsored. I, I go there, and then I have the Laughlin Conference where I come back and talk about my research. So, yeah, uh, what can I say? It's it's interesting. It's like Indiana Jones. It's, and, and do they monitor? Yes, they monitor. They, they want to know. I'm doing it for them. So they want to know what I found out, you know, who, you know, what it is, uh, everybody, even the intelligence com uh, community wants to know what's going on. Everybody wants to know what's going on. It's all curiosity. What's going on in the, in the desert down in Chile? Okay. There, there's near the Atacama desert, uh, on the Atacama desert is a place called Alma. It's 15,000 feet high and there's a lot of radio telescopes there there's some from nasa some from china some from america um it, it, that's awfully high uh and uh something is happening and uh they're all in and the people that are down there uh, a lot of the people are seeing uh craft uh very visible and i'm wondering you know, is, is there communication going on? Even though radio telescopes are very primitive, very primitive. I mean, in movie contact, I mean, it's just maybe there's some sophisticated radio telescopes where they're getting more than just, you know, the sound. Um, so I'm curious. I, I just, you know, want to go and ask the people that live there uh, and ask about how the sightings are and what they're seeing and what they're perceiving and so forth. So... Um, I, I'm sure that I'm going down with a group uh, with Ricardo Gonzalez and a group uh, down there, and uh, I just uh, it'll be really, really curious. That's where the activity is. There's a lot of activity there. There's a lot of activity in Switzerland. Um, you just, it's just that we have to get out of our own you know small world to see that sightings are still going on, things are still happening. We're still, you know, we still have this phenomenon that in the end, I think the message I want to leave people with is, is not about them. What's his name? Robert Dean said, famous Robert Dean, Sergeant Major, I love the man, said, it's never about them, it's about us and our relationship to the universe. Well, that's interesting. Can you expound on that a little bit? What does that mean exactly? It's not about them, it's about us. Well, I think they hold up a mirror to this civilization hmm. because we have to look at us. We have to look at uh, it, it can't be. It's not external. It's more internal. In other words, we're looking up to the skies and, you know, and I know that a sighting can change somebody's life. Uh, you know, and I know that a contact can change somebody's reality. So what are they telling us that our reality isn't what we think it is? that the universe 
uh, has all these possibilities that we as a human species are bigger than we just being flesh and bones and, you know, walking around and that we, we are something part of something massive, something bigger. Um, we're still here. So if we're still here. It's still school. Well, and it's almost time for the bell. Uh, Paula, it's been a great pleasure uh, speaking with you. Thank you so much for hanging out. Oh, thank you so much for uh, asking me. And again, Saturday, September 21, 22, Alien Cosmic Expo, the Marriott Hotel at the airport, Toronto, and Paula will be speaking there on the 21st from 2.45 to 4 p.m. Go to aliencosmicexpo.com, aliencosmicexpo.com for more information and to order tickets. That's it for me. Back next week with Commander Randy Kramer to talk about the secret space program. And that'll be for the full two hours. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. David John Oates, the discoverer of reverse speech is standing by. This is a brand new regular feature we introduced here on The Conspiracy Show a couple of months back. And David joins us once a month for a segment in the first hour to play a few reversals. Paula Harris will join us towards the bottom of the hour. And then for the rest of the program, Paula is a, a veteran photojournalist and investigator of ET Contact. And she's worked with the late J. Allen Hynek and Colonel Philip Corso. And uh, she's coming to Toronto later this month to speak at the Alien Cosmic Expo. And we'll give you more details on that as well. Owen Wolf is my technical producer. Ryan White is my live stream producer. However, there is no live stream on the YouTube channel tonight, but as always, this program will be uploaded to the YouTube channel within a few days. The YouTube channel, of course, Strange Planet. Uh, and visit strangeplanet.ca. That's my website, strangeplanet.ca. And everything is right there. You can find the podcasts there, information on this program, guest info, my live events and appearances schedule, my new Strange Planet shop, the full script dispensary, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. David John Oates 
is the founder and developer of Reverse Speech Technologies. He was the first person to ever document speech reversals in human speech back in 1983 and has worked extensively since then on research and development as well as maintaining a therapeutic and consulting practice. He's the author of several books on the subject, including Reverse Speech, A New Theory About Language, Reverse Speech, Voices from the Unconscious, and Beyond Backward Masking. He's the co-host of an exciting new podcast called Reverse Speech Radio. Hey, David, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, mate. Thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure. I got to tell you, your uh, podcast, very it's unique. I mean, there's nothing like it anywhere. Uh, Reverse Speech Radio. And uh, let's first of all tell people how they can uh, listen. They can go to Reverse Speech .ca, or they can go right to Libsyn, the Libsyn platform, reversespeechradio.libsyn.com. And new episodes drop every Thursday. And, um, Thursday. yeah, what, um, tell me something, uh, something uh, about an upcoming episode, if you could. Right. Well, we actually just add an episode on the Titanic survivors, which was uh, very well received, and uh, the episode we recorded this week is uh, what was called uh, "Can You Handle the Truth?" Where some brave, uh, brave listener called in, and I record them for fifteen minutes and go and analyze the tape, and then play them the results. So uh, that's all always very interesting, and um, also we give them what's called a meta walk, which is a uh, basically a guided visualization journey through the unconscious uh, based on what their reversal said so um, um, uh, that's always received very very well we get a lot of good feedback from that so so that's our next episode which should air next week right right and for the titanic uh, episode i think it was a two-parter and you have survivors and uh, where do you find the uh, the audio uh, well, I actually didn't find the audio for that one, so I am not too sure where they found it. Um, a lot of audio can be found on YouTube. Um, they may have found it on YouTube. YouTube's got so much stuff there. I mean, yes. anything that I want, I can find on YouTube. So uh, I'm not sure where they got it from, but I wouldn't surprise me the bit if they found it on YouTube. And again, just for those people who may be joining us for the first time and uh, don't quite know about reverse speech which you discovered just explain the the theory behind it sure well the theory i'm proposing is that language is bi-level forwards as well as backwards and i claim that as the human brain is putting the sounds of speech together it's putting those sounds together in such a way that we're saying two things at once one forwards and one backwards and so literally for my career I'm running tapes in reverse. And when you run tapes backwards about once every, oh, 15 or 20 seconds, you'll hear this very clear phrase. It's really quite obvious amongst the gibberish. And it's my claim that that is what we are thinking and feeling, both on a conscious as well as an unconscious level. So it's a whole new uh, linguistic theory about language. And... Um, uh, and I've been doing it for 35 years. I think I've compiled many examples to uh, uh, verify its validity. And 
The idea that it is the unconscious mind that's speaking and the unconscious mind cannot tell a lie. And so therefore, we may be deceptive in our forward speech, but the backward speech, the reversal will sort of betray the lie, correct? Exactly correct. Yeah, yes. If we are lying in forwards, then in reverse, you may, not always, but you may quite quite often get the truth. I say not always because sometimes you don't. Uh, there won't be any reversals there, but generally there will be. And, and, uh, and sometimes the person is being truthful forward and backwards, and so that's what you call a congruency. Absolutely correct. Yeah. Uh, they're more common than what you might think. Uh, you know, we tend to laugh and think, oh, everyone's lying, so we'll expose the lies of everyone. But uh, but uh, there's a quite a high proportion of reversals that are what we call congruent. And actually, why don't I play a very obvious example of a congruent reversal? I don't know whether I've played this on your show before. Uh, maybe I have. Um, this is Angelina Jolie. And... Uh, uh, she's saying forward. She's very aware of her own emotions. I grew up kind of very, uh, very aware of my own emotions. About what she says, I'm very aware. I'm very aware. I'm very aware. So that's. Oh my gosh, that might be David. One of the most the, the clearest reversals I've ever heard. You can't distinguish that from her forward speech. I know it's remarkably clear. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a great example of what we call a congruent reversal. Now, here is an incongruent reversal uh, where the opposite is being told. And this is Donald Trump saying that Mexico is going to give him a deal on the wall. What's the difference? I want to get the wall started. I don't want to wait a year and a half until I make my deal with Mexico. So, And we probably will have a deal sooner than that. And by the way, Mexico has been... So nice. So he says, we'll probably have a deal sooner than that. But backwards, he says, they will not deal with us. You hear that one there, Richard? I do. Yes, that's pretty clear. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So that's an incongruent reversal, which has turned out to be remarkably true because uh, Mexico are not dealing with Trump on the wall. At so. least not so far. Yes. At now, least not so far. We're, you know, we, we we're just absolutely, you know, fascinated with this aspect of reverse speech, you know, catching someone in a lie, trying to climb inside the mind of a, a serial killer, et cetera, et cetera. But you use it for therapeutic reasons. Just spend a moment telling us about that. Oh, sure. Yes, I have a very active therapeutic practice. I've currently got about 20 clients on the go. Um, reverse speech in the therapeutic situation is just is just really uh, incredible. Uh, it will tell us many times what the problem is. Um, it can give us the source of the problem. Um, it can tell us how to fix the problem. Um, which uh, which can be done, uh, well, it depends on what the solution is. So sometimes it's in metaphor, uh, sometimes it's in uh, straightforward instructions. Uh, and I just get amazing results in uh, working with uh, clients uh, using using reverse speech. Um, here, let's give an example of how reverse speech is pinpointed the source of a problem. And uh, here's a young man who came to me for session work to uh, find out why he gets angry all the time. And in this small section, he's talking about his father. So he's got a temper issue. So here's the forwards. 
build that up, but it's double tough because I'm traveling abroad. I've chosen to live outside America. Anyway, yep. um, I'm still relying on him to help me. Right on him to help me, his father. And backwards, he says, a crime with our father. A crime with our father. A crime with our father. You hear that one? A crime with our father. What does that mean, yeah. do you suppose? Well, that's pinpointing the source of his anger. See, it's a crime with our father. My anger came from my father. My father. So it pinpoints. Does does that make sense? Yes, it does but, in that case. Um, yeah. Now, you, you talked about metaphors, and sometimes the the reversal will be somewhat cryptic, uh, oh. it, it, utilizing, let's say, a symbol, maybe, you know, a body of water or some so, sort of an animal. How do you decipher it, the, the meaning of that? Oh, boy. Well, I can tell you back in my early days, when I first started, they were a huge, big mystery to me. And, you know, I'd find phrases like... Uh, my goddess is stabbed with a knife or uh, the wolf has fallen in the lake. And uh, I, um, However, as time went on, uh, one of the uh, things about reverse speech is that it's complementary. And by complementary, I mean the forwards relate to the reverse. We saw that with I'm Very Aware and Angelina Jolie and they will not deal with us on Donald Trump. And so using the principle of complementarity, I have seen over, over the years, I have seen the metaphors appear in the same context over and over again. And so I have been slowly compiling a reverse speech metaphor dictionary, uh, which is now 30 years in the development, um, where I ascribe meanings to these metaphors based on the context under which I find them in the uh, in the forward and the reverse. And uh, sometimes I'll update the definitions. Uh, it's not an exact science, of course. I wish it was. Um but over the years, I have become fairly confident with the meanings of the metaphors. But but uh, but I but I but I train my students. Um, you know, uh, often it's a two-way discussion with the client to determine the uh, meanings. Um, so it's a bit of it's a bit of historical a bit of historical context uh, plus a joint discussion with the client. Is it based on Jung, Jungian psychology? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, I wouldn't say it's based on. It is similar to Jungian psychology. Uh, certainly, certainly, when I read Jung's works, uh, a lot of his metaphors are identical to the meta metaphors in reverse speech. For example, the metaphor whirlwind is a very common metaphor in reverse speech that we talk about quite a lot and it's a metaphor that Carl Jung discussed quite extensively in his work and so yes there is a great similarity between Jung, Jungian metaphor or archetypes as he calls them, Jungian archetypes in reverse speech metaphor but I haven't used Jung to interpret the metaphors I've used reverse speech so when I say it's based on Jung I actually uh, say it's identical to you, very similar to Jung, but I've arrived at the meanings independently from how Jung arrived at his does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does. Uh, now, the idea that it's the unconscious mind that's speaking, yeah. is that the same thing as the, a higher self? 
Uh, absolutely, yes. Um, well, see, reverse speech is coming from multiple levels. Um, I, I say the unconscious because that's the easiest way to describe it. Um, but it's coming from uh, the unconscious. It's coming from the deep unconscious or the collective unconscious. And you can also hear the spirit itself speaking, which one would, could call the higher self. Uh, so it's tapping into multiple levels of consciousness. And uh, at various times, uh, some parts will speak and other parts will speak other, other times. Now, one of the things that uh, blows me away is the idea uh, that you've put forward that we actually learn to speak in reverse before we speak forward. And I know you have some uh, some reversals from children, but just talk to me about that idea that we learn sure. to speak in reverse before forward. Yeah. Well, I formulated that theory back in 88. Um, I was very uh, fortunate in 87 when I first wrote the theory of reverse speech to become the father of twin girls. And uh, from the moment they came home from hospital, I began to... Um, recording them and to running the uh, tapes in reverse and from as early as four months of age I began to find isolated single words on their reversals for example here's an, one at four months of age this is just normal baby talk forwards <laughs> If we run it backwards, you'll hear the cry, followed by this very clear hello. <laughs> and you can hear that quite clearly. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. It's remarkable so, uh, that that gibberish forward can produce a recognizable word in reverse. Right, right. Yeah, uh, uh, simply marvellous. And... Uh, um, if we found an isolated word here and there, you could say, well, this is coincidence. But as the children grew older, the single word started to become three or four words. So, like, here's one at 12 months of age, and uh, this is my daughter in a bathtub trying to pick up a cup. She can't pick it up, and she reaches out to me for help. So, here's the forwards. <laughs> This is actually one of my favourite examples, and she says in the verse, David, which is my name, David, help me. <laughs> I'm sure you'd agree that's fairly clear. Yes. So how could you say that's a coincidence? It's three sentences. It's using my name, David, and she's reaching out for help. Help me. So, so after finding numerous examples like this, I developed uh, another point from my theory, and the uh, theory states that the process of spoken communication begins in reverse before it does forwards. The unconscious mind is developing for the conscious mind, and so that speaks backwards before forward speech begins. So uh, it's a fairly radical theory to say that the children are speaking back before they do forwards, but uh, um, a lot of child cognitive functions develop in reverse before they do forwards and children will often crawl backwards before they crawl forwards for example so uh, so yes yeah, so that's point three of my theory and uh, let's play a really clear one this is probably one of my uh, 
most uh, favourite children, one of all time. It's a young child, and uh, she's telling us how she's good at school. And she's about to tell us something she's not good at, but she has a little slip of the tongue and changes her mind. So listen to this. I'm, I'm quite a good girl. And I'm, I'm quite good at maths and English, but I'm not... I'm, Hear that little slip of the tongue, but yes. I'm not... Um, English, but I'm not... I'm, and then she keeps on talking and says this. I'm science, but I don't think... I don't know anything else. And when she has that little slip of the tongue, she says backwards, I'm not telling. I'm not telling. Oh. I'm not telling. Oh. I'm not telling. Very clear. Oh, my this. gosh. That's yeah. stunning. Absolutely yes, stunning. It is, yeah. So, so she's not telling us what she's not good at. That's what this <laughs> sure, is all sure. about. So we're tapping into her unconscious thoughts. Yeah. Crazy question. Do you think yes, this sir. could work on animals? Oh, dear. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I, I have my animal files uh, stuck away with the great secrecy because it, uh, um, it can tend to uh, tend to uh, 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 throw, uh, throw water on the theory. And talk about water. Here's reverse on a cat. <laughs> Backwards, I need water. Oh my gosh! Oh my lord! <laughs> I, I know. Look, I keep those secret. I don't bring them out publicly because because um, I don't want to deal with animal reversals at this stage. <laughs> but anyway, you've asked me the question, so there's the answer. All right. I've got a small file of animal reversals, about a dozen or so. So uh, uh, what they mean, I don't know. Now, the the idea that the CIA. Um, they may deny it, but yeah. they are keenly interested in in this, and and well, they they use it, right? Absolutely, they use it. You can just Google reverse speech CIA, and that will take you to the to what they've publicly classified, declassified, with their interest in reverse speech, and you'll see a copy of my book produced in 91. I lectured to the CIA in 91 for five days, uh, telling them all about reverse speech and um, uh, what they've done with it, I don't know. They've declassified some of their work on reverse speech. I'd like to see what they haven't declassified. Um, you know, The CIA obviously uh, been well known in the past to deal with uh, psychics and all sorts of uh, uh, new technologies and ideas. So, uh, um, I uh, what they've released leads me to convince they're doing a whole bunch of more work with it. So. Now, uh, you are coming to North America. You're coming to uh, Canada. Do you have any yep. dates for us yet? Uh, well, I will be in Toronto on December the 20th, uh, not December, sorry, October the 20th, I'll be in Toronto, and I'll be there until the 4th of November, so I'm there for two weeks. Uh, I know uh, Christian, who is uh, my man in Toronto. Your co-host uh, on Reverse Speech Radio. Yes, absolutely. He is uh, setting out some lectures and workshops. Um I think for further information, I would go to reversespeech.ca. That's uh, Christian's uh, Reverse Speech website. We'll have all the details up there. Um, I don't know the details of them, but I know um, where Christian is organising some. So, um, 
And once those dates, right, once the dates and the venue become available, we'll announce it. But again, just keep an eye out at reversespeech.ca. And again, uh, you will be here in Toronto October the 20th until November the 4th. Till November the fourth. All yep. right. Uh, Love to see anyone who's interested in reverse speech. Want absolutely. To come and see me, tap me out to lunch. Absolutely. All up, up for it. <laughs> and once again, the podcast reverse speech radio dot libson dot com reverse speech radio dot libson dot com or again you can go to reverse speech dot ca and just uh, look for that old little radio and click on that that'll take you right there always a pleasure david and we'll talk next month thank you richard i appreciate it right bye-bye okay. paula harris is up next to discuss aliens in the white house her work with j allen hynek colonel philip corso and more the truth is not out there It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Paula Harris is a photojournalist and investigative reporter in the field of UFOs and extraterrestrial-related phenomena research. She studied ET-related phenomena since 1979 and is on personal terms with many of the leading researchers in the field. From 1980 to 1986, she assisted the late Dr. J. Allen Hynek, with his UFO investigations and has interviewed many top military witnesses concerning their involvement in the government truth embargo. In 1997, Ms. Harris met with and interviewed Colonel Philip Corso in Roswell, New Mexico, and became a personal friend and confidant. She's instrumental in having his book, The Day After Roswell, for which she wrote the preface, translated into Italian. She's the author of several books, including Conversations with Colonel Corso and UFOs, All the Above and Beyond. Paula Harris, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm doing fine, Richard. How are you? I'm terrific. First off, I want to mention right out of the gate that you're going to be appearing at the Alien Cosmic Expo that's happening uh, very soon, September the 21st and the 22nd, the Alien Cosmic Expo, and uh, that's at the Airport Marriott Hotel in uh, Toronto. And you are going to be speaking on the Saturday from 2.45 p.m. to 4 o'clock, where we will learn the truth about hybrids at the White House, Project Blue Book, and, of course, working with J. Allen Hynek and Colonel Philip Corso, all of which we'll talk tonight uh, about. And uh, quite a lineup, uh, really, again, a who's who. Travis Walton will be there. Paul Hellyer will be there. Uh, the Honorable Paul Hellyer. Uh, yourself, as I mentioned, Leslie Mitchell Clark and Wes Roberts, who I interviewed a couple of weeks ago, Grant Cameron, Randy Kramer. Of course, we have to talk a little bit about the secret space program, uh, as well. Okay. Now that we've, uh, squared that away, let's talk about hybrids, alien hybrids at the White House. Now, we're not talking about Valiant Thor, that, that story from the 1950s and 60s here, are we? Well, I, I first of all, before we even begin talking about something that weird as alien hybrids, and I'll, I'll mention where that comes from, I want to tell you that I have never spoken in Canada, that my mother was born in Stratford, Ontario. Ah. So, I know, I have a Canadian connection, so for all the people that are listening, uh, when I first came to this country, I was born in Rome. I came uh, at the age of five with my mother and father on a boat. 
We went to Stratford. My first school was in Stratford. And most of my relatives are in Toronto. So I am super, super excited to be there, uh, especially with this illustrial, uh, illustrious group of people. And uh, it's the first time. So I just want to tell you, it's the first time. So it's a I'm wonderful excited. homecoming. Excellent. Oh, yes, because, uh, you know, I'm close to uh, the Honorable Paul Hallier. I did uh, six different interviews with him flying across the ocean when I was living in Rome. And I lived in Rome from um, 1992 to 2007 when I returned to Colorado in the United States. So most of my work has been outside the country. And so, you know, it's been, you know, really a field research. And when you mentioned the hybrid thing, it's part of research that I had to go back to do in the 1950s and 60s and off of uh, Joshua Tree, California. What I saw happening was that we had as a group of researchers and as the managers of ufology, we had um, kind of been stuck in the abduction scenario, the little gray aliens being the symbol for the whole entire field. So since I had the influence of Italy, uh, of the contacts in the 50s and 60s, our contactee, who was Ara Damsky, was named Eugenio Sidakuza, and he met with who said they were Venusians. And those days, they kept saying they were from Venus, whether it was um, Howard Menger in New Jersey, or whether it was George Van Tassel in California, or whether it was Adamski who met with Orthon. They all said they came from Venus. So this is part of the UFO history. And uh, I had to look at the story of Val Thor, just going to what you mentioned in the beginning, to go on that track as a possibility of it being real. And I had to look at the work of Dr. Frank Strangers, because mm -hmm. I went back to to look at, Richard, I mean, did we really always have grace, or it, were there a bunch of spacemen that hung out with us in the 50s and 60s? Right, right, because so, the, like, the, 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 gray a, the gray alien thing really gained traction with Betty and Barney Hill. I think. Exactly. Uh, and so for those not familiar with the Val Thor story and Frank Sturge, uh, Frank Stranges, uh, just, just give us a thumbnail sketch of that, a quick overview. What happened was I started studying Howard Menger and I have some 80 uh, photos of Howard Menger giving a lecture in his backyard in Highbridge, New Jersey. And there is Val Thor sitting there with Jill and uh, his support. So, you know, so-called brother Don, and I have all these pictures of them sitting there. And then when Wendell Stevens uh, passed on, he had an archive where he was talking to the photographer of that afternoon. And the photographer was named August Roberts. He was very, very famous. Augie Roberts took a lot of pictures. And then I get this audio tape where Augie Roberts is saying to Wendell Stevens, well, Howard Menger said there were going to be three extraterrestrials sitting in the audience there under the uh, trees in the orchard. And he says he didn't tell me who they were. He said, so I had to take pictures of everybody. And there are the three of these people overdressed, overdressed because um, uh, Val Thor has a suit and tie on. Jill looks like she's 
completely off a runway. She looks like a supermodel. And everybody else is in there, you know, um, uh, casual clothes. They're in an apple orchard, but these three aren't. And so when I'm listening to the tape, and the photographer is saying that he was instructed to take the pictures of these three, and then I began to look at the story of of uh, what yeah. strangers said happened with Val Thor, that he actually went to the White House to talk to Eisenhower about two things. The idea that uh, people could live longer if they weren't taking pharmaceuticals, and the idea that maybe we should look at our nuclear capacity, in other words, look at uh, uh, our peace, you know, looking at uh, our weapons of war and so forth. So what did I do? You know, like a good field researcher, I went to California, uh, to California. I went to Lake Mead, because in Strangeness's book, there's an X over where Victor One, his ship was parked, and boy, is Lake Mead look weird. Uh, where this ship was parked, it looked so unusual, it looked like another planet. Uh, I didn't see any ship, but I had to go there, and I also, you know, began researching all the contactees of that period, and they all had the same story. There were spacemen visiting with a similar message. So do I believe the Val Thor story? Well, when the photographers tell Wendell that he was told to take pictures of these guys, what do you say? I mean, this is a photographer. Right. And when you look at these photos and you see uh, Val Thor and um, the other two that were supposedly from Venus uh, that went to the White House, this happened in the late 50s, but we didn't really hear about it until the 1960s. Why? What happened there? Why the, the gap? Well, I, we didn't even hear about it until recently. I mean, nobody's been talking about this. Uh, uh, we didn't hear about it. Well, Frank Stranges uh, talked about it a lot before he died. And, and I just didn't get to him. I feel so bad because if I talked to him, I could have gotten a lot more information. But um, he talked about it. It's called the Space Brother Movement for people that that, that uh, want to study that part of ufology. Um, it became popular later on. I mean, actually, what I began to realize was that maybe the intelligence community was looking at this because The Day the Air Stood Still is a very interesting movie, Richard. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. And I went to um, interview Robert Short, who was involved in the early Space Brother movement and also saw one of these spacemen. And he told me that Robert Wise, when he was doing that movie, um, was talking to Michael Rennie, you know, he's the 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 alien that walked off the ship with the uh, robot and so forth. Right. And that, that last that last big speech in that movie was all done by channeling. It was not on a script. Michael Rennie said, I know what to say, and he just started talking. Fascinating. And that's on my YouTube channel. That's on my, for anybody that wants to hear Robert Short talk about this thing, uh, this speech, which is so famous, it just says you people are not ready to come out into outer space. Right. And again, a bit of the backstory. So Frank Estranges is, he's a pastor, basically, right? And he's, he, he believes, he's interested in UFOs, and he believes that, uh, the, you know, these space brothers are coming here to, to spread the word of, of, of God. Uh, and then that he gets approached after one of his sermons and, and, yep. and is invited back to a meeting, I guess, at the Pentagon where 
Val Thor has been living in an, uh, in a, in an apartment for, for how long was it at that point? I think it was three months, but he couldn't have been there the whole time because he was in Frank. He was in Howard Mentor's backyard, and I've got the dates on that. I'd have to go look at it. So it wasn't like he was prisoner because he, I mean, he's sitting there in the backyard there at Highbridge, New Jersey. So he must have been able to walk around. All right, let's um, let me take a quick time out, Paula. We'll come right back. Paula Harris, my guest, right here on the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. From Yeti to Nessie, pyramids to pandemics, all is revealed on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Uh, Paula, we were talking about uh, Frank Stranges and his account of Val Thor, this uh, Venusian uh, that was living in the Pentagon for a period, I guess, of about three months. And uh, but you were saying that he was he was getting out and about. He wasn't obviously held prisoner. He I guess he could come and go as he pleased, really. Well, if he's in the, the backyard of Howard Menger uh, with, with his other two, Brett with Jill and Don there, uh, yeah, I mean he's sitting there. So, uh, and what's interesting, and you know the background because you, you just mentioned it, was that when Frank Strangis went in. Uh, to see him, it was like, you know, the movie Star Wars where Obi-Wan Kenobi gets in just by, you know, uh, having everybody just be distracted and glazing over and so forth. And he describes he didn't have a pass. He got through. Uh, he was taken there by a woman who uh, had heard him speak, and he got to meet Val Thor there. And uh, I, I don't think he can make that up, Richard. I, I don't think he made that up. That was... A time in history uh, which I think was very close to disclosure as far as because I think that uh, when when the day the earth stood still come out came out that film it touched a lot of people and I think the intelligence community knew about that film so I think that was a part of our UFO history right I have you talked to Grant Cameron about whether I mean there's anything because he scoured all of the presidential libraries of course and whether there's anything from the Eisenhower library that might kind of hint at the existence of Val Thor meetings with Val Thor no, I haven't, but that would be really, really interesting. I'm not sure if that would be recorded, uh, only because I, I think that it's possible that that there have been beings that have walked among us that aren't from here, and I think it's possible that the intelligence community knows that there are beings. Uh, as an example of this, I was talking to Glenn Steckling about the uh, Damsky thing, and he knew Damsky, and Damsky left all of his... Uh, archives to the Steckling family, and at one point, Glenn Steckling says to me, "Well, he says the the ones the, the people from uh, Venus you know, used to get in the car with uh, Adamski, especially his lectures in Germany." And he shows me a Polaroid, and he says, "Here's a lecture of Adamski in Germany." He said, "Pick out the ET," and there was this really good-looking blonde guy who seemed like he was very young because I guess they never age. And I said, that's the E.T., isn't it? The one that's overdressed with the tie. And he said, yep, that's that's not a human. And I thought that was a Polaroid he showed me of Adamski's. You know, so in those days, I don't think they're there anymore. Or they, they do this anymore. But in those days, I think there was an attempt. I think they came from Venus. I think they used Venus. 
I mean, they don't call Venus Venus. We call Venus Venus. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, I think there was an attempt by people, interplanetary people, to make contact. Right. Well, that's interesting because to me, yeah, that's where that story would lose some credibility. The idea that they would come from from Venus because, I mean, that's just it's not not hospitable. Right. As far as we know, it isn't. But I don't think they call their planets the same as no. we call ours. And no. In order to, to be among us, they kind of take the form of what we believe. Right. Exactly. Um, so. What happened, do you think? There seems to be this demarcation. We had, you know, the, the, the ones identifying themselves or we identify them as these Venusians up, you know, in the late 50s into the 60s. And then all of a sudden, with Betty and Barney Hill and the abduction, it's all about the greys. What happened, do you think? Well, I think whoever's managing this, and it's not the government. The government's changed so many times. Colonel Corsi used to say, stop blaming the government. Which government are you talking about? I mean, the senators and the congressmen. They don't know anything. So I think whoever micromanages the UFO phenomena, and it's probably the intelligence community with a lot of other players, um, thought it was very convenient to keep the people under fear and to stage some, uh, you know, abductions and to, um, you know, to keep them in that, in that frame of mind. Now, since I knew John Mack very well, what he had told me was that there were some real, you know, um, it, harvesting, I think, of DNA and so forth. But he, he said that, he told me that ended in 1994, and people uh, were being contacted by having direct downloads. Now, that's why I like the word contact a lot more than the word abduction, because uh, whatever happened in those days, they put you back in the car, they put you, in Travis's case, they put him on the road, uh, they put you back in the bed, uh, they put you back. And uh, an abduction means real abduction. You don't get pulled back. You get killed and you get taken away. Um, but so the contact, John Max said, was being done uh, by direct download, which means people were getting messages directly. i got to jump in here, uh, Paula. We'll take another quick time out. We'll come back and uh, continue to talk about uh, contact. Uh, we'll get into uh, J. Allen Hynek, uh, Project Blue Book, Philip Corso, much more. Paula Harris here into the next hour as well. Stay put right here on The Conspiracy Show. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.